Trisden here with the Extreme Common Sense Podcast, thanking our friends at Berea Pond. We could not do the podcast without the generous support from Aaron and Robin at Berea Pond. And also, my house wouldn't have nearly as much cool stuff without all the items at Berea Pond. So when you're ready for your next furniture, gun, ammo, pallet, they have so much cool stuff, you're not ever going to regret going to Berea Pond. That's Berea Pond at 107 Clay Drive in the old IGA building across from near New Auto Center. Don't miss out. If you're from the area, you got to get into Berea Pond. We are Trisden and Ray. Having lived and spent time on the coasts and in rural Appalachia, we feel like we have a unique perspective on most topics. Working to find the common sense middle in a country becoming more and more polarized. Welcome to Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, this week, Ray does what he does, uh, you know, once a month and shoots me a text message that says, Hey, man, uh, I'm busy. Can you just throw an interview uh, on the podcast this week and uh, we'll get back at it next week? And this happened to be one of those weeks. So if you listen to last week's show, you know that Ray had a, I don't know, scary, hopefully not serious, but definitely a scary health issue. And uh, for those that are uh, frequent listeners, Ray is still fine uh, from that. So the fact that we're airing one of my old interviews is no reflection on uh, Ray's health. He's doing great and actually went to Columbus to watch a concert. Uh, I would assume Springsteen, but then I think Springsteen is not touring right now, so I actually have no idea who he went to see, and I think he was even going to... Oh, text message. That's Ray telling me not to mention his travels. Um, just kidding. But I think he even maybe went up to, to Toronto also, so just uh, took a couple days to get away and then came back, and Lucas, who was his co-manager, um, was taken off, and he was like, actually, I can't record a podcast this week. I've actually got to work, so... Um, no worries about his health. He is doing good. And um, <clears throat> so I'm just going to air a, an interview. But I do want to tell a ridiculous story first. Um, this is absolutely true. I've been in my house here in Paint Lick, Kentucky for, yeah, Paint Lick. How about that for a country name? You Eastern elites listening to this. Paint Lick, Kentucky. Um, so since we moved into the house... Uh, you know, we've tried to upgrade things as homeowners tend to do and make things better. One of the things that we've never upgraded or fixed has been our stovetop, which was here originally when we moved into the house. This is an absolutely true story. Um, periodically, the burners will die. It's one of the old, you know, regular burner stove. Um, it's kind of ridiculously expensive to replace because it actually has a vent built into the stove. It actually vents downward. If you're really bored, you can Google 30-inch cooktop like with a vent, and you'll see the prices. Like They start out at like $2,500. So, you know, if a burner stopped, I would usually run out to Ace or jump on Amazon and buy a burner. They're pretty easy to hook up. It's like two wires. Like You turn the fuse off, uh, you know, from your fuse box. You cut two wires put them together, put the burner on. It's like as simple as a couple clicks. It really, it's a five minute process. And so I've had to do that a handful of times since we've lived here. Uh, the last time that happened, I went and bought the, the burner, put it on, 
and it didn't work. So I was like, you know, maybe it's the wrong burner or this little black box thing that you have to put on there. Like I'm doing something wrong. I'm sure it's user error. But anyway, this was probably six months ago and you know, I do most of the cooking. So, you know, I can pretty much get by with three burners. You know, we do blue apron typically. And, you know, that consists of rice or potatoes and chicken. That's, you know, pretty simple, but I digress. So just as it consistently goes on and on, it kind of gets on my nerves. Like I really want this burner fixed. So I go out, oh man, this was a week ago to Ace Hardware because I was buying some brick stuff. And I thought, well, I'll, one more chance, I'll go get the generic burner and the g generic little black box hookup thing. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to fix this damn thing and it'll stop being on my nerves. You know how it is when like something works pretty good most of the time. And it's just like, man, when you really want that fourth burner to work for whatever reason, and it's not, it's, you know, complete pain. So I go to Ace, I buy the brick stuff I need, I buy the burner that I need and the replacement little black box deal come home, hook it up, does not work. And I'm like, you know what, forget it. I'll just spend the $2,500, like this piece of crap. It's gone on long enough. So I just leave it hooked up and um, that was that. I thought, okay, the last chance will be, I think this was like Saturday. So I said, Monday, I'm gonna actually call GE because that's the brand that makes this 30 inch GE stovetop. <laughs> So Monday, I call GE, give them the model number, serial number, and uh, they're like, you know, this obviously has been discontinued for seven years, and we make nothing like this anymore. There's no parts, but we can give you a special on the new one that would fit, which was like $2,300, and I thought, you know, I really don't want to spend this money, so I basically just put it on hold and, and just decide to stew on it for a day. And uh, so, so just kind of deciding whether or not I want to do it. Like, do I want to suffer through another year, six months with like three burners working and just kind of getting on my nerves. And uh, I just say, all right. So this was maybe, uh, geez, Tuesday of this week. So this show should drop like tomorrow. Today is like Wednesday night. So this was yesterday. Um, I just decide yesterday morning, I get up, just gonna spend the $2,200 or whatever it was and buy this new GE stovetop. And uh, so I place the order. I tell my wife, like, you know, I'm done screwing with this thing. I looked up uh, on YouTube how to hook it up. It seemed pretty simple. And uh, so purchased it. And uh, we're, we were making a, a HelloFresh meal um, last night but before we started cooking i was gonna take our dogs for a quick jog if we'd live in a subdivision just a, like a one mile walk jog to, to get our dogs out and my wife's getting the kitchen ready you know for dinner and i say you, you know we're having some mashed potatoes would you start a pot of boiling water for me well i'm gone so i come home that's right the fucking burner worked my wife had no idea which one didn't work again i do most of the cooking and she's just boiling potatoes on the burner that didn't work. So needless to say, I just threw a bunch of money away. So, but isn't that how it goes? Eh, fucking burners and GE. But anyway, uh, hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> There's no chance you did. But nonetheless, um, I'm going to air an interview. This was from, gosh, seven, eight years ago. Uh, an interview I did with um, a music 
kind of a, a pioneer in the music industry. Uh, African-American, uh, one of the first African-American music executives, Logan Westbrooks, actually Logan H. Westbrooks. He's now an author, writes a lot of books about the music industry, stays pretty involved. He was promoting a book uh, that he had written several years ago, and uh, his people got in touch with me to do an interview uh, at, at my uh, radio stations at the time where I work. So I was like, yeah, it sounds pretty fascinating. You know, the guy worked with Prince and Michael Jackson and all these great acts. But uh, honestly, this interview aired early. Actually, no, I said radio, but it aired on our TV station, I think, real early in the infancy of our WBON TV. Um, so this is the audio from that interview. I think it was an audio interview, but I think we aired it uh, on TV. Anyway, so I have not, as I do, have not re-listened to the interview. So apologies. I, I don't remember what was said. I did ask Troy, uh, our producer, um, like, is it airable? And I think he does a pretty good job. He'll, he'll cut the end and maybe listen to my interviews on fast forward, which is probably the only reasonable way to listen to my interviews and said it was pretty good. So uh, hopefully uh, he's not exaggerating and it's something you guys can listen to. But again, this is uh, Logan Westbrooks, a very early African-American uh, music executive and pioneer. And uh, he was promoting his new book, If Memory Serves. It was called Anatomy of the Music Industry. I just Googled some of his books and that one looked the most familiar. So um, here it is. Tristan Reynolds here. We're speaking with Dr. Logan Westbrooks. Dr. Westbrooks, how are you today, sir? I am just fine. Thank you for inviting me on. Hey, thank you for being here. This is wonderful. Uh, first of all, I'm going to let you do most of the talking here, but uh, if you would like to tell our listeners what it is exactly that uh, you've done with your life. Well, uh, what I've done, I've been fortunate and blessed that for the past 50 years, I've worked in the music or the entertainment industry, but I've always worked on the business side, and it has been a great ride. It has carried me from Memphis, Tennessee, all over the world, and now my wife and I, we are based here, are living here in Los Angeles, California. Wow, you can't beat that. So you guys have some pretty nice weather year-round. And also, you've got, uh, I know, one one book right now that we'll probably talk about a little bit more, but you've also got three books out. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Okay, and you will give some info on how folks can pick those up, but I know just for basic start-out purposes for people that are not familiar with you, LoganWestbrooks.com does have access to purchase any of those books. That's correct, yes. Okay. Um, so your books, let's see, The Anatomy of the Music Industry? That's correct, uh-huh. You were a co-author of... The Anatomy of the Music Industry, about how the game was and how the game has changed. And basically, in that book, it is talking about the new innovations that's taking place here today and what the young people are doing today to get into the music industry. That's basically what that book is all about. Wow. So, And that will detail a lot of sort of the changes over the last 50 years in the music industry, I would assume. That's correct. Also, in that book, it has more than, uh, interviews with more than 30 professionals and they're talking about their careers and how they did it and what those youngsters is reading this book, how they can do it. Well, very nice. And and you've probably seen it all. I mean, you literally, again, have been around for 50 years. You've been a part of Motown. You were one of the first black music executives. I mean, you probably could tell stories all day. 
Yes, I could. Yes, I could. <laughs> Very interesting and enjoyable. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously, again, we don't have all day. You certainly are a busy man, but uh-huh. you can read a lot of these stories and, and, and things in the books. Again, go to LoganWestbrooks.com, and you're going you're gonna to get all of that. Right, that's correct. Very nice. And the idea was to share my experiences so those young people coming up today can read this and can use it to benefit themselves. Very nice. So what what was it like being a, one of the first uh, black music executives? Well, it was as I look back, you know, I just I got through it, but it was a difficult times. It was the mood of the country. The country was divided. The country was segregated. So in the music industry, it was exactly the same thing. You had black radio stations. You had white radio stations. You had black promotion managers. You had white promotion managers. Everything was it was different and separate. But fortunately, fortunately, all of that has changed now. And it's so amazing. I mean, for somebody that grew up in my generation, I mean, I was born in 1980. I mean, it's just amazing to think that there was this time when, you know, everybody just wasn't together. And I know now there's a lot, you know, I don't want to say a racial divide or, or you know, but certainly with social media and and the the sort of political climate of the country. I mean, it's it certainly seems to be a different time. Would, would, how would that compare to sort of segregation? Hopefully not nearly as as, as trying. Yeah, well, you know, our society was segregated, so in the music industry, as in other businesses, it also was segregated. Now, interestingly, you see, you came up during the 80s. Well, in the second book, The Anatomy of a Record Company, that book was first written and published in the 80s. And what I have done, I have updated it, put in some new additional information, and that's more of a historical book telling about how exactly things were in the 80s, and also there are individuals that have been interviewed who were the experts in their areas. They were the deal-makers in the 80s, and they all have chapters in that book, The Anatomy of a Record Company and How to Survive the, the, the Record Business. So it's more a, a historical document than anything else. Very nice. Well, let me ask you this, just uh, sort of a fun question, and you've obviously spent a lot of time, I would assume you've evaluated a lot of talent. What is the, who would you say is the most talented musician or singer that you ever worked with, and did you ever miss on anybody that turned out to be a lot better or bigger than you thought? Yes, 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 there there, there were some that I missed on, but I would have to mention uh, Herbie Hancock in terms of talent and what he does on, on the, the, the keyboard. Uh, in terms of a, a, a singer and artist, I would have to mention Lou Rawls. Nice. And I'd also, head in head with him, it would be Johnny Mathis. Like on stage, Johnny Mathis makes no mistakes. Nice. Everything is perfect. It's unbelievable. Very nice. What would you say in your 50 years, what is the biggest change that, that has occurred from when you started to where music is today? And that can be well, musically uh, or... I would say the biggest change is the genre of music that we listen to here now, the hip-hop era, rap music. And in my opinion, that came about because the major labels, they were the gatekeepers. And if they did not allow you in, you didn't get in. So consequently, 
these talented individuals, these talented youngsters, had to find and seek other means to get their music out there. And that's exactly what, we, what, what they did. And as a result, they basically put all the major labels out of business. Like right now, for instance, there are only three, three major, just only three. Where in the past, there were dozens of them. Well, they were such a closed society, they would not allow those youngsters to come in, only the select and the chosen few. But now, they had the talent, they were created, so they struck out on their own, and they became successful. And that's what took place. So I would say that's the major change as I see it. That's amazing. So sort of the power went from the music execs more so to the people, and I would have to assume social media sort of embraces that, so you can actually sort of make a name without the promotion of the labels. No, no doubt about it. And fortunately, it now means that that artist gets a bigger piece of the pie. Oh. And that's where it should go, because they are the originators, they are the creators of it, so they should get the biggest piece. Definitely. And you always hear about a lot of these initial contracts that these folks get that are just horrible. You know, they'll go on tour and have a platinum album and work for three years and, and get home to, you know, $50,000. <laughs> right, a, and in a filing for bankruptcy. Yeah. That's, but that's not happening now. Yeah. That's a good thing. Definitely. Uh, before we go any farther, I just want to say again, folks, I'm speaking with Dr. Logan Westbrooks author and music executive for over 50 years. Uh, you could check out his b website and his books at loganwestbrooks.com, so make sure and check that out. Um, again, you dealt with Motown, and I think everybody just finds Motown so fascinating, just this early Detroit you know, uh, musical scene. It, it's just phenomenal. Tell us a good story that we may have never heard. Well, well now, I only I only dealt with most of Motown as an observer. Okay, I never worked directly for Motown. However, however, uh, I did encounter some of the, the major in innovators from Motown, like Holland, Holland and Doja, for instance. When they formed their Invictus label, I was working for Capitol Records at the time. And that was when, like, Frida Payne came along and chairman of the board. Those acts came along. So that was, they were the creators or the originators there in Motown in terms of, in terms of the songs and the music. But now when I encountered them, they struck out on their own and formed their own label. Okay. Now, another individual, even after I had ended up there at CBS Records, uh, there was a one uh, one writer and uh, a fellow named Hank Hank Cosby who became a producer there at the, at CBS. Now he was from Motown. Johnny Bristol came from Motown. I encountered him at CBS. So this is after they had all left Motown and started out on their own. Very nice. So, so from those fellas that you've worked with, is there any good Motown stories that you could share with us? Well, uh, I can remember when Holland, Holland, and Dozier were in town in New York on, on the business meeting, and we were all sitting around, and uh, Johnny Mathis, as great as he is, as innovative as he is, as entertaining as he is, and he said that. 
the, the, the singer he admired the most was Jenny Nash. Unbelievable. Wow. And fortunately, Jenny Nash was living in New York at the time. So I arranged a meeting. Jenny Mathis was appearing at the, was at the Waldorf Astoria. And I arranged for Johnny Nash to attend that show and to meet to meet Johnny Nash. And Holland, Holland and Doge were there at the same time. And it was just a glorious time, a glorious meeting. After the show, we all went backstage and we were there just sitting around, chatting and talking. It was just a good feeling, a good meeting to see these two, these great creative individuals get together like that. And then on the sideline was sitting Holland, Holland and Doja, and there I was like a fly on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be amazing. I mean, just so many, you know, to be able to, to just be around greatness and just really kind of absorb that and watch it and just, you know, observe it. Uh-huh. Um, well, let me ask you this. Obviously, a lot of folks listen to the radio that are buddy musicians themselves and want to get into the music business. What advice would you give somebody that's starting out or somebody that really wants to make something in the music industry? Where I mean, read the book, well, of course. The very first thing to do yeah. is to perfect your craft. And that's practicing and rehearsing around the clock, every wicked moment you have. Perfect that craft. And the second thing, the second thing is to seek legal advice. That's very, very important. You can't afford a lawyer, but you can go on the Internet and get a lot of your legal questions answered. Somewhere down the line, you're going to, be, you're going to have to bring a lawyer in, but get as much legal information as you possibly can. And don't sign anything until a lawyer has taken a look at it. That's very, very important. Great advice. Well, would you like to tell folks the name of your three books again? And, and I'll, from, from your mouth, tell them uh, where the best place to go to, to pick one up. Yeah, the first one was The Anatomy of the Music Industry, How the Game Was, and How the Game Has Changed. That's available right now. And the next one was The Anatomy of a Record Company, How to Survive the Record Business. And that's basically a historical account of what was taking place in the music industry in the 80s and also those top executives that were in the business then, they each have chapters in that particular book. And the third book is a book called The Harvard Report. Now, The Harvard Report was a study that was commissioned by Clive Davis and CBS in 1972. And that book has... All these years, it has been sort of close. Very few people knew about it, but it was actually the, the blueprint on how to establish a black music marketing division and how to penetrate the black music. Now, this is in, in, in the early 70s. And as a result, this book, or the results of that book, it became the template for the black music marketing divisions at all of the major labels. That's so, so amazing. Three books are available. You can go to Amazon or LoganWestbrooks.com. Very nice. Well, Dr. Westbrooks, it's been an absolute pleasure. Again, I appreciate uh, appreciate the call this morning. And just outstanding stuff. And hopefully everybody who's listening to this will immediately go to your website. That's LoganWestbrooks.com and check these books out. It's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you very much.
and thank you for allowing me to talk, speak to your audience. God oh, bless you. absolutely. God bless you, too, and you have a great West rest of your week, sir. Hope you guys have a great week, and we expect to be back next week with a more up-to-date and current show. Thanks for listening, guys. Hi, this is Tony with We Do Epoxy, and I'm looking for ugly floors. I mean, so ugly, dirt won't stick to it. We can take your ugly garage, basement, porch, or patio and turn it into a work of art in just a couple of days. Is your garage floor so ugly you keep the door closed to prevent anyone from seeing it? We Do Epoxy can fix that. Stop living with ugly concrete. Call me today at 859-582-7920. That's Tony at 859-582-7920.